Romans 5 is continuing on Paul's message of grace, forgiveness, and the Mosaic Law. And Romans 5 is basically meat. I mean, it's basically simple, straightforward theology that Paul is making his case to the church in Rome. And so what have we been talking about over the last few weeks? Paul has been trying to make his case, and we'll, we'll kind of remind you guys and, and, and think back to the first four chapters of Romans. <clears throat> Paul is writing to a church that is full of many kinds of people with many kinds of backgrounds. Who's in the Roman church at this, this period? Well, certainly Gentiles. And what is a Gentile? <clears throat> Anyone who's not a Jew. Ah, excellent. Ah, you, you're getting so good at, like, you know, I just push the button and you just say it. I love it. That's great. <laughs> So Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, who else is in the Roman church at this period? I think the Roman rulers, aren't they? Ooh, this is a really good point. Now, I haven't talked about this a whole lot, Steve, but I am going to, I'm going to diverge for just a minute and say what Steve is saying here. You want me to draw a map? Should I do it? I'll do it for my parents because they're here today. And we'll do it in a weird spot. I never do it here. So... So let's do the boot. What is the boot? <clears throat> yeah, Italy. <clears throat> Rome. In Greek, Roma means strength, incidentally. <clears throat> There's a reason for that. Here's Rome. Over here, this is terrible. I draw maps. They're horrible. Uh, that's why I have to label things. And then you go, OK, well, I guess I, I see what you're trying to say. Um, <clears throat> so around over here is Athens, Greece. Here's Corinth. This is probably, we think, where Paul is writing his letter to the Roman church. Here's Rome. Who's in Rome? Romans. Romans. See, you get the obvious answer, right? Everyone is in Rome. Slaves, free men, um, Greeks, anyone from all over the Roman Empire is in Rome. Who rules Rome? The aristocracy rules Rome. There's a lot of rich, powerful, ruling class people that live there. There's a reason why the apostle, well, not, excuse me, <clears throat> there's a reason why the writer Luke, who writes the book of Acts and the book of Luke, <clears throat> the gospel of Luke, writes such good Greek to an audience we think is Roman aristocracy. Why? Because there's a lot of rich, well-educated, ruling Romans in Rome. <clears throat> I don't think it's a mistake that Paul really, really wants to go there. So we can, and throughout history, you'll, you'll read about scholars who are fairly convinced of this, that one of the target audiences of Paul in the end of his life <clears throat> is the aristocracy. Why? Because if you can convince them that Jesus is who he says he is, you've now suddenly got not just a grassroots movement of Christianity, you have a top-down movement of Christianity. You have people who are in power, who have a lot of influence, who can themselves spread influence about the Gospels and about Christianity. So Steve is right on. <clears throat> we certainly think there were probably powerful people. In fact, we're not guessing. Roman historians have written that Nero, the, the Emperor Nero, who is the emperor during this period where Paul is writing this letter, members of Nero's own house are converting to Christianity. So we know what's happening. Was it Pharisees? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> eventually there'll be one named named Paul. <clears throat> yes. I don't know. I think you could assume that there could be people influenced by the Pharisees. The Pharisees of the time, the question is, are there Pharisees? Um, <clears throat> the Pharisees were very influential in the first century. Um, much more influential than the Sadducees, the, the ruling aristocracy of Judea. So you can, you can pretty much bet on the fact that there are people who have heard Pharisees. They, they subscribe to the Pharisaic thoughts. What do Pharisees believe? They believe in the law. They believe in the writings of the prophets. They believe in spiritualism like angels and demons. They believe in an afterlife, a resurrection of the body. So absolutely, there are people that believe in that kind of thing. Who else is in Rome, in the Roman church? 
Jews. Uh, right. So we've, we've been alluding to it. There are Jews. There are Jews. And remember, this is another important part here, that in the first century, there is really no delineation between Judaism and Christianity. Um, Christianity was Judaism. It was the fulfillment of Judaism. And so there were people who grew up as Jews in a Jewish household with Jewish parents and Jewish brothers and sisters who went to synagogue and read the Holy Scriptures who have now given their life to Christ. So you have a whole mix of people. Now, it's these people, this last group, the Jewish converts to Christianity. And again, it's just Jews who believe in Jesus at the period. who Paul is really making a big case in Romans to. A lot of Romans is written to these people. Why? Why is Paul writing to Jewish converts? What's the controversies here? I kind of gave it away by writing my notes over here. Uh, That's exactly it. You have thousands of years of history of the Jewish people living by the so-called Mosaic Laws. What are the Mosaic Laws? Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. It's like stereo again. I love it. It's kind of great. Ten Commandments. And what else? Is that it? Yep. We have additional Mosaic Laws. We have Levitical Laws. Laws that cover what? What are all these laws saying and doing? Your whole life. Behavior. Your whole life. Everything you do. Everything you do. Uh-huh. How did the Jews view the Mosaic Laws? This is an important one. It's a path to salvation. What else? It's not just that. Receive favor from God. Okay. It also is a uh, separation between Ah. Jews and the rest of society. Yep. You're all absolutely right. It was a whole list of things that helped to define who they were as a people. It defined how they should conduct their lives. Everything from worship and their dedication to God and, of course, salvation, the fruits of that, that dedication, but also mundane things like how I'm supposed to eat, what I'm supposed to eat, who I'm supposed to eat with, who I'm not supposed to eat with. Jews viewed the Mosaic Laws in a bigger context, too. We call, we call this kind of a covenant, right? Another word for a covenant is a testament or a contract. It's a contract between the Jewish people and God uh, as to say, we'll follow these things if you promise to give us certain things. And what did they expect in return? And we already said salvation is one of them, and salvation can mean different things to different Jews of the first century. What else did it mean? Favor? Hmm. Blessings. Blessings? Huh. This is a Greek word, charis, which means grace. It means exactly what you just said. Favor, blessings. Um, It can mean financial benefit. Uh, It can mean happiness. Grace, and this is, here, I'll write it out here for the English. (laughs) Grace, to a first century Jew, meant something. It meant if you followed the law, you would be blessed. You would have favor. God's favor would rest on you. It's an interesting point because, and yes, we will get to reading the scripture, and we have a lot to read. I'm setting the whole stage here. Um, Last week in his sermon, Eli uh, talked about God's love for us. And in the Greek, that's what word is love, God's love for us? Agape. Agape. This is a a word that a lot of people know. Look, you know Greek. Congratulations. Uh, It's all Greek to me. uh, (laughs) I love you, Steve. You know, it's funny because how Greek was used in antiquity is, is kind of interesting because the Christian community often took certain words that were Greek and meant certain things and kind of made them their own. Grace is one of those. Charis, 
to give grace, charizomai is the verb, means literally to just give favor to someone, um, to grant favor, to give a grant, right? Um, to give something to someone. The Christian community took these words and, and made them their own. Charizomai came to mean to basically forgive. This is to give grace. I, I'm going somewhere here, so, so bear with me. Um, uh, forgive. But it also means to give grace. So, um, charis, grace, this idea of, of giving favor, the Jews had one way of looking at it. But to them, grace was earned. This is the key. This is the root issue that, that Paul is trying to get at. If you were a first century Jew, your salvation was earned. You had to be a good person on the outside and follow the Mosaic laws. That was your path to salvation or to God's favor. Paul is going to make the argument. He has made it. He will continue to make it. That grace now means something very different. And this is what the, the, the Jewish community of the first century struggled so mightily with. What do you mean? Wait a minute. No, no, I have to follow the Mosaic laws. Well, Paul's about to tell us what the Mosaic laws really meant to God. <laughs> and it wasn't what the first century Jews thought it was. So let's read Romans 5 and figure that out. And I think we're going to read 5, 1 through, let's do 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for us for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Excellent. Thank you. Look, that's, that's the message. That's the message. We have been justified through what? Now, here is the core of Christian theology. Right here, chapter 5. Again, tell me what it is. What does justified mean? It's like you've never sinned. It's like you've never sinned. That is excellent, Lorna. Thank you. And how do you get to that state of being like you've never sinned? Blood was shed on your behalf. Nope. Who shed? I haven't put it up there, but I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to. Pause tape. <clears throat> Who's blood? Jesus. Jesus. <clears throat> Who is called the what? Huios, Theos, son of God. But what else is he called? The Lamb of God. And a lamb is a sacrifice who, in God's eyes, blood must be shed for the forgiveness of what? To God, a sacrifice is required to make things right, to right a wrong <clears throat> Jesus, we call him Jesus of Nazareth, but he has a much more fancy name that people think is his last name, and that's what? Christ. Christ. Christ literally means the anointed one. Anointing, chrio, uh, which means to literally smear. <laughs> smear oil in the anointment of a holy person, object, uh, animal, 
Christ was the anointed one. The anointed one to a Jew has another fancy word. It starts with an M. It's the Messiah, right? Messias. So Christ, who is the Son of God, the perfect sacrifice, shed his blood willingly so that all men and women could be forgiven of their sins. So, however, that's not quite enough. That's not quite enough. If you go to verse 2, how do we... How do we get to this place? So Christ dies. Okay, faith. Faith. My my translation calls it something interesting, not the faith part, but Christ brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Ooh. Ooh. Undeserved privilege. Now, undeserved privilege is how... What's your translation? Undeserved privilege is your translator's way of saying charis. <clears throat> and this, again, is a Christian way of interpreting the word grace to a Greek. Undeserved favor or undeserved privilege. <clears throat> Before you get faith, though, you have to accept the free gift of eternal life. Ah. Then you can have faith. So that's interesting. That's an interesting way of saying it, Lorna. <clears throat> I, would, I would say this, that I would kind of flip that just a little bit. Now, you're right in the sense, I think, that while there had to be the shedding of blood for this forgiveness to even be an, an opportunity. So Christ dies on the cross. He sheds his blood. At that point, Christ has died for who? That's verse 6. Who did Christ die for? This is important. The ungodly. The ungodly. Go tell that to the people holding up the signs telling the homosexuals are going to hell. Christ died for those people. <coughs> Westboro Baptist. Guess what, folks? Christ died for those people. He died for the sinners. He died for the murderers. He died for the prostitutes. He died for the liars. He died for me. He died for you. But it's not automatic. And this is another piece, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. Through Christ, we have gained access by faith into this grace. So guess what? Grace, this undeserved kindness, is your ticket to justification. The dikaiosune. This idea of uh, you have been made righteous, but it's not automatic for everyone. It's not automatic. You have to have what to get access to it? Faith. Faith. You have to accept it because it's given. But if you don't accept it, then you don't have it. All you have to do is accept it, and that's right. exactly it. And it's free. It's kind of like you know. I think it was C.L. Lewis who made the comment. <clears throat> If you knew that a doctor had a cure for a terminal illness, it was free. And all you had to do is go to that doctor and accept his cure for you. How many people on this earth do you think would say they would willingly do it? Probably a whole lot of people. What if I told you there is an incurable disease? It's called this. It's called sin. And there is a cure, and it is free, and all you have to do is accept it. Now, how many people who had their hands raised are going to slowly lower them? (laughs) What is sin? Separation from God. Ooh, separation from God. How do you get separated from God? By sinning. Uh Uh-huh. What is, so what would be an action that would separate you from God? <clears throat> By not believing. By not believing? Okay. Murder. Ah. Ooh. Okay. Ah. Very good. Let's talk about that a little more. What, what other reactions do you have here for these first uh, 11 verses? 
verse 3 and 4 are often quoted. Ah, okay. And used, uh, I mean, it's a well-known verse, I just... Okay. That we, you know, um, just because we believe doesn't mean we're not going to have things that make us suffer mm -hmm. or in life, but it all, um, you know, helps you, improve you as a person. <coughs> and faith in God. Faith, pistis, in the, um, in the Greek, means exactly what you think it means. It means faith, it means trust. That's another way to say it. Or you can trust someone, or they can trust you. It can be entrusted. It all leads to this, this, this word here, hope. Elpis. <clears throat> in the Greek. Hope, you could argue, was what drove the Christian church in the first century. How good did people have it who were Christians in the first century? Not too good. I'll tell you right now, even until uh, the time of um, Constantine, when, when finally Christianity was recognized not only as a legitimate religion, but as the sole religion of the Roman Empire. The Christian community had it really rough. Who were the people that were converting to Christianity for the most part in the first few centuries? The lower class, the downtrodden, Exactly. Slaves, poor, downtrodden. Where did Christianity tend to take root the most? By, by persecution, in what locations were they? Cities. Christianity was an urban faith in the first century. Why? Where were a lot of poor people who were downtrodden, who were slaves, who really were down and out and had no hope? Where are they today? You know, 2,000 years later, we have the same world that they did back then. It just looks a little different. At its core, it's still the same. There was so many people suffering who needed something called elpis in their lives to say, there's going to be a bright future for me. And the Roman government ain't going to give it to me. And these pagan religions that we're following ain't going to give it to me because they're not doing any good for me. Um, and in some cases, I'm following pagan practices that are very bad for me. Hope was quintessential. I use that word for the Christians of the, even till now. I mean, it's, that is my word of the day, and I say it too much. It's, you know, we all have our words. Um, what's that? What's that mean? Well, it's kind of like, right? I don't know. Look at him di dissecting it. It means whatever Brian wants it to mean is the answer. Um, that's right, exactly. And at the bottom it'll say um, they had hope. Christianity spread uh, primarily, again, I'm diverging. It was an urban religion. It spread fantastically through the road system of the Roman Empire because people could go back and forth from city to city and spread the gospel, the good news. But one of the big reasons was poor people would see their poor neighbors right next door to them being helped by Christians. They were being fed by them. They were being clothed by them. They were being taken care of when they were sick and dying. And they said, I want to be a part of that. Look at what a great religion. I don't see Nero coming in and helping the sick and the poor. I see him burning them on stakes to light his gardens. Weren't the Jewish supposed to do that as well? And Jesus would have said, yes, and you're not doing it, right? And we're all supposed to, right? I mean, look, uh, that, was, that was one of the top commandments, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. So I, you know, so this is this 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 idea of hope is really important, and I think that's why Paul is getting at it here. But he's saying it's not an empty hope. It's not just hope for the best, and you know the worst will happen to you. He says your hope will be rewarded. Well, he goes even further and says, or, or gives the background to that, or some justification by saying 
God's given us his Holy Spirit out of his love so that our hearts will have his love and we can show others. What is the Holy Spirit? And why is that? Okay. But why is it so important that the Holy Spirit is a part of this? Because what is the Holy Spirit? God Himself. God Himself. And and in is God the Holy Spirit on top of a mountain? He's within us. This is fundamentally different than any other religion of the period. There was no concept that a God, much less the God, is somehow living inside of you if you have accepted his free gift, and that causes changes to you, a transformation. Okay. I love verse 3. Mm-hmm. I love anywhere in scripture that gives us a progression like that ah, mm-hmm. that says like Second Peter 5, 1, 5 you know have your faith <coughs> knowledge, knowledge, self-control and perseverance and it says if you possess these things and increasing then you know that you're, you've entered the kingdom and that, that's the hope that it's talking about it, this gives us if, if I experience tribulation and then I persevere through it, and then I become a better person because mm-hmm. of that. I can feel that progression, and the Holy Spirit says, "Yes, you are on the right track." You, and it gives, and it does exactly what it says. It gives me more hope. It gives me more reason to go out and give somebody else that hope. Well, it's so kind sure. of like when you, sure, yeah, like when you're praying and you're you you have faith and you have answered prayers. It does. It's like it, the progression. Like you. Are patient, and then you have, you like God answers it, and then you have more hope. So then the next time something bad happens, you're already not that zero. You're already at a different level, and then you know you have more faith that's added, and then you can, you know, and people see that in you. I'm like, how come you're not upset? Why? You know, you have hope. You know, I continue to argue that. <clears throat> One of the biggest free gifts that we kind of neglect as Christians is this idea that we can listen to the Holy Spirit and we can derive joy from it and hope. This idea that I'm worried about the future. Look, if you're a Christian and you believe that you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, you have nothing to worry about. Nothing. Oh, you might stub your toe. You might have a bad rating at work. You might lose people close to you. We have concerns about the people that aren't saved yet. Yes. But starting with, yes, that's true. But think about you first. If you truly believe you're saved, what does your future look like? I just had a bunch of people give thumbs up. Yeah, that's it. You've got the biggest thumbs up in the universe. Not only are you going to live forever, you're going to live in paradise. Paradise that God has said over and over. Salvation, eternal life, if you believe in me, in my kingdom, is wonderful. Wonderful. And I can guarantee you, Millions of years from now in heaven, (laughs) you're going to forget all about that cat that barfed on your couch. (laughs) The the kingdom is here. The kingdom is not. Ah. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. Can I share just a little little story where I I experienced yesterday? Went to um, my girlfriend's yesterday afternoon to do a little barbecue, and her sister, who has been going through a divorce, moved in with her a couple weeks ago and she's got four kids and they were coming over to do a barbecue with us all yesterday and I had my two younger kids with us and so we were there and they her sister and her three kids 
got there, and the youngest is 10, the boy, and he came in and he was just pissed off. You could just see it. He's got his clothes, he throws them down, he takes his hat off, throws it down, and mom's, she doesn't know what to do, and he goes down the stairs, and she's like, I don't know what's wrong with him, blah, 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 blah. So I went over to the top of the stairs, his name's Daxton, I said, Daxton, you shoot hoops at all? He said, oh yeah. I said, why don't you come up here and meet my son, Aaron, and you guys can shoot some hoops. And he's like, oh, okay. So he kind of comes up, right? So then I go to, so he goes outside and finds the ball, and I <coughs> grab my son. I said, hey, will you go out there and shoot baskets with him? Well, Aaron's not good at basketball, <laughs> and he's going to be embarrassed. And he's like, mm, I don't, you know, I'm not going to go over there and embarrass myself. I said, well, why don't you just make conversation with him, find out where he goes to school, find out, you know, what grade he's in, that kind of stuff. Like, eh, I don't know about that. And I, said, <laughs> and I said, his mom and dad just found out, or just yesterday, he just found out that the mom and dad's divorce was final yesterday, so this was Friday. <clears throat> I said, why don't you talk to him about that? And he says, oh, okay. Because his, my son's parents got divorced four years ago. And he's lived through that. <coughs> this is brand new. And here's my 14-year-old son going to go minister to this yep. kid. Because he's got hope. Because he's lived through it. And it's not, you know, it's not like, hey, the divorce is great. It's that there's hope beyond it. It's not just when I get to heaven. It's now. It's absolutely today. The good news yep. is not just about salvation for our future. Yep. It's about today. How can I feel better about my life today? Thank you for sharing that. That's a great example. That was awesome. Yeah. You know, you think of, everybody always asks, well, why does God let bad things happen to good people? And it's the, one of the dumber questions that can be answered, but it's frequent. If you take a step back and think of, all right, what does God want? He wants faithful followers. If the magic potion was, oh, you get you become a Christian and nothing bad ever happens to you. Yeah. Then you've just got, you know, the lambs. You just got blind sheep. All they're doing is responding to a stimulus and not yeah. making a decision on faith. They're just doing something so you don't whack them. Okay. Thank uh, you for sharing that. And and I think that's important because I think a misconception, and and I've had it too, especially. Not only within the Christian community, but certainly outside of it, is <clears throat> look at all of those blind sheep in the Christian community who are just going to church every week, believing what they believe because they don't want to go to hell. I will be honest with you, that is one factor why <laughs> I think Christ is good for me. I don't want to go to hell either. But that's not the number one reason I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus because I believe in his what he's saying. I believe he was right, and I want to be on the side of those who are right. Let's continue on. We have a little bit more to read here. Verses 12, and I think we're just going to finish it out to 21. Who would like to read 12 to 21 for me? When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness, for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, 
that Christ's one act of righteousness, righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, Steve. Right here, Paul is answering the questions that his audience obviously has, which is, so then what was the value of the law? Why have I been following this law my whole life? Why have my people been following it for thousands of years? He refutes this idea that the law was your path to salvation. <clears throat> in fact, he says the opposite. And this is, in some ways, an ironic contradiction to what the first century Jews would have thought. Not only is it not your path to righteousness and to salvation, it does what? Verse 20, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. What? What? The law was added so the trespass would increase. This is God's view of the law. Now, back up a little bit to the beginning. The beginning. Genesis. God creates man. creates the world, the universe, and he sets people in motion. How long did it take before mankind stopped doing what God wanted them to do? <laughs> About 15 minutes. <laughs> now, between the time that Adam sinned and the Mosaic laws was a long time. I want to hit on something real quick here. It's a verse that causes a lot of consternation and a lot of controversy. It's verse 13. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Now that seems on its surface to be an oxymoron. You just told me that sin was in the world, but without law there's no sin. That's not what that's saying. And I think it's important for us to understand what that's actually saying. And again, it gets at the Greek. I know I'm hitting this awful hard today. Um, <clears throat> but it's this word called elegeo which is, it basically means in the word, but, but remember I told you last week that logos means two different things. It means the word or, the, or knowledge or, or wisdom. It also means accounting. Paul is saying here that that time between Adam and Moses, there was still sin in the world. How did we know sin was still in the world at that period? People were dying. Every single human died. Well, except for one. <laughs> That's right. Well, that was, that, okay, that was that one? Yes. Yep. And, and so here's the point. People were dying. What is death? It's the result of sin. And what is death? When I say death, what do I mean in a, in a spiritual mean? You're separated. You have a physical death, right? Everyone knows what physical death is, right? You stop breathing, heart stops beating, you decay, turn to dust. Physical death. There's a bigger death here that's implied. This idea of spiritual death. It's the death that means more to God than physical death. And death is not natural. Now, as a scientist, I will have many, many, many colleagues who will say death is natural. I would argue it's not. There's nothing natural about death. There's nothing natural about it. You are pre-programmed to die. This might surprise you. As you grow old, your telomeres switch off. The telomeres and the telomerases that make your chromosomes essentially stick together stop working. They are switched off. Once they are switched off, your clock is ticking. Your chromosomes, the tips of them called the telomeres, start to decay. And it is 
it is um, a correlation between the length of those telomeres and cellular health. The shorter those telomeres get, the more damage your cells incur until the point when you reach a threshold in which the cell dies. You are programmed to die. Death is not natural from a physical sense or a spiritual sense. Death is caused by what? Sin. Sin. So we know, yes, sweetheart, I love that you raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. Still, I'm still it's all good. Um, yeah, that's the, this really interesting because I was reading an article science and it was just all about how cortisol is what kills us and cortisol is all based mm. on stress. Why are we mm-hmm. stressed? Because we sin, we're sin. Like, uh, yeah, and if we didn't, okay. have, we didn't have to worry at all and God says, like, worry the sin, yep. we wouldn't be stressed. And so uh, it's literally like a scientific I hope we got that because you are right on. Goodness gracious, how much proof do we need here that our sin is killing us? Our sin is killing us. Now, fast forward to the Mosaic Law. People were dying. There was sin. Then we get this enigmatic statement, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. What it's saying here is, oh no, sin is sin and it was there. But once we have the law, we have the hundreds of statutes and rules and regulations, now what happens? Now when you sin, there's an accounting. Oh, you did this wrong? Did this wrong? Did this wrong? You did this wrong? This, 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 this. Now instead of just saying a blanket statement, you did what God told you not to do. Now I can say you did that and you did that and you did that. The law is meant to convict us. It's meant to show us our trespass, to shine a light on our rebellion. Comments? Who were God's two sons? Who was his first son? Look, Adam was his first son because he made him. He's different in the sense, and I think you could argue that it was his first creation. Adam was his creation. And he, you know, maybe it's like a Pinocchio thing or something. He created him and he gave life to him. And that's, that's you know, I would call his son. But Adam was fully what? Human. He was fully human. He was fully man. Fifteen minutes in, God's first son sinned. He decided to do what God told him not to do. But he only had one rule. Ah. Let's read that one. <laughs> Shall we? Who would like to read The Fall of Man? Genesis 3. We'll just do 1 to 19. Who would like to read that for me? Now the snake was the most clever of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day the snake said to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? And the woman answered the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God told us you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it or you will die. But the snake said to the woman, You will not die. God knows that if you eat the fruit from that tree, you will learn about good and evil and you will be like God. So the woman saw that the tree was beautiful, and that its fruit was good to eat, and that it would make her wise. So she took some of its fruit, and she ate it. She also gave some of the fruit to her husband, and he ate it. Then it was as if their eyes were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made something to cover themselves. Then they heard the Lord God walking in the garden during the cool part of the day, and the man and his wife hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And the man answered, I heard you walking in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And God asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat fruit from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, You gave this woman to me, and she gave me fruit from the tree, so I ate it. (laughs) Then the Lord God said to the woman, How could you have done such a thing? And she answered, The snake tricked me, so I ate the fruit. And then the Lord God said to the snake, Because you did this, a curse will be put upon you. 
You will be cursed as no other animal, tame or wild, will ever be. You will crawl on your stomach and you will eat dust the days of your life. I will make you and the woman enemies to each other. Your descendants and her descendants will be enemies. One of her descendants will crush your head and you will bite his heel. Then God said to the woman, I will cause you to have much trouble when you are pregnant. And when you give birth to children, you will have great pain. You will greatly desire your husband, but he will rule over you. Then God said to the man, You listened to what your wife said, and you ate fruit from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat. So I will put a curse on the ground, and you will have to work very hard for your food. And in pain you will eat its food all the days of your life. All the ground will produce thorns and weeds for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will sweat and work hard for your food. Later you will return to the ground because you are taken from it. You are dust, and when you die you will return to the dust. What is sin here? disobeyed God. What was the result, the physical result, of disobedience to God? Turn back into what you were created from. Oh, I like that. Well, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> and there was bloodshed. Okay. There was bloodshed. You would, and when you say turn back into what you were created from, what do you mean? Dust. You'll, you'll, you'll die and turn to dust and decay. In the meantime... How's your life going to be? It's going to be hard. Ain't going to be good. I find it interesting. And it just kind of dawned on me as she was reading this. So what was the penalty for eating this fruit beforehand? Mm-hmm. If you didn't, you'll die. How did they know what death was if death hadn't occurred? Like describing a rainbow to a blind person. Right. I don't know. Uh, what, what is dying? Uh-huh. They knew. So mm. something must must have been dying at that point, I don't know, or God told them. You know, you tell your kids, don't drive fast, you get in a car accident. What's a car accident? I mean, look, I think I would argue that, and, and scholars would argue too, death had not entered the world until that moment. But that doesn't mean that the concept of it wasn't there. Um, <clears throat> They broke, they broke creation by doing this. What I want to say is that literally the moment that they sinned, do you think God expected this to happen? This is a big one. You think this was a big surprise to God? No. Where are you? God called out. Do you think he knew? Yeah. Whose question was that for? Does God ask rhetorical questions? <laughs> the minute... Adams and Eve sinned. God predicted the way out for them. In Genesis 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Well, that's interesting. Who's the offspring of the serpent? Satan is the serpent, we would say. Who is his offspring? This is a good one. This is a good one. Sin is his offspring. Rebellion is his offspring. The corrupt human is his offspring. Who is the he who will crush his head? We have Jesus Christ predicted the minute that sin happens. Jesus will crush the head of the serpent. He will destroy sin. It's almost as though God knew Jesus was going to come into this world. It's funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> Makes more sense of that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the man has now become one like us. Us, plural. Who is the us? We didn't read that part. That was a few verses later. Who's the us? The Apostle John told us who the us was, that Jesus himself was there at the creation. And in fact, it was through the Son that all of us were created. And now, not only is it through all of us that we are created, it's through, or I'm sorry, it's not just through Jesus that all of us were created, it's through him that we will be saved. He gave us our first life, he will give us our second life. Thoughts?
two years old, they are. they're not talking a lot, but they're starting to talk a little bit. And uh, he, he said, uh, God, Mama, Allie, amen. <coughs> if I remember correctly, her headache went away. Hmm. And for a little two-year-old, mm -hmm. be able to pray to know that you're hurting because of God. Yeah. I thought said a lot. That's awesome. I think Jesus would agree with you. Eli said it last week. Jesus told us to be like what? Like the little children in our faith. Just believe. You know, it gets back to this whole thing. And, and you know, at the beginning of this, this study, I made the comment that don't get too caught up in the theology of Romans. Just stick with the basics. Jesus is the answer to a problem, which is sin. If you believe in him, then you will have access to the grace of God and be saved. <clears throat> it's just that simple. And it gets at this idea of having childlike faith. Not without using your brain, because God gave us a brain to choose and to examine, but to have this faith that says, look, I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to take the leap of faith, and I'm going to trust him. And Jesus was very clear about it. That's the kind of faith he wants us to have. If you believe... You have access to salvation. It's kind of like you don't have to know how your food nourishes your body, right? Nicole and I, we're probably like, we can draw the metabolic thing, right? You know, all of the metabolic cycles uh, and how food is, is broken down and turned into uh, molecules that can then be turned into energy, et cetera, et cetera. You don't have to know all that. What do you have to do to live? Just eat. Just eat it. Just eat it. Let God and your you know, physiology worry about the rest. The same is true of salvation. Just believe. Look, he's told you right here in, in Romans 5. He said it again. Just believe. Your faith will give you access to this grace. Now, it's important here, and there was a comment here that, um, here it is. This is in verse uh, 18. One act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. It's important to remember here that that doesn't mean that all humans are automatically saved through the shedding of Christ's blood. It means that they could be saved. This doesn't mean that everyone's going to heaven. Okay? And it's really important that we remember that. And in 19 it says that. And in 19 it says what? Well, it says if because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous, not everyone will be made righteous. Excellent. So this has been a great conversation. We'll pick it up again next week.